Welcome to the Tech Cat Show with host Lori H. Schwartz. Each week we hear from established leaders in the technology and consumer industry. Finding out the scoop should never be this much fun. Now, here is your host, Lori H. Schwartz. Hello, everybody, and we are back in the headquarters of the Tech Cat Show. Last week, we were broadcasting live from shop.org, where we had some really insightful uh, interviews uh, all about the future of e-commerce and retail and how content is playing a role in all of that and all the exciting business models that are driving consumers to to purchase in this digital world. And today, we have yet another exciting conversation that's all going to be about the digital media revolution. And we have the fabulous Phil Ramta, who is the COO at Studio 71. And Studio 71 is a digital media network or digital entertainment um, company that oversees a talent network um, and lots of technology around influencers and YouTubers and all sorts of digital media content creators. And we're going to dig in to what all of that means now um, because I know we've talked about multi-channel networks and YouTube before, but the landscape is constantly changing. So let's have a fantastic Tech Hat, welcome for the fabulous Phil Ranta. Let's hear it. Thank you, Lori. It's good to be here. Oh, my God. The studio audience always goes wild. Um, <laughs> sit down, lady. Sit down. I wish I could hear that in the background all day, every day. Right. As soon as someone says hi, you just hear like uh, cheers. Um, well, Phil, Phil, give us a sense of your background because you've been in this space for a while. You were at full screen. You were at a bunch of other places. So tell us how you how you came to, to be in this world. Yeah, sure. So I've been in the digital space for about a little over 10 years now. I actually stumbled in the space, as so many did during that time. Uh, I shot a pilot when I was still in college. Uh, called Party Animals. It was a comedy pilot, and I brought it out to Los Angeles to, uh, to shop it around in networks, and it ended up selling to SuperDeluxe.com, which that was the first iteration of SuperDeluxe. It's since returned, but it's a, a Turner imprint where they were uh, testing shows for the potential of possibly upstreaming to television. Um, so I learned a lot about the digital space during the, my time producing that show, and it kind of just sent me into this whole world of, you know, uh, the marriage of math and magic and how entertainment can work on, uh, on the Internet. Um, and from there I went to a mobile entertainment company called VivaVision where we were doing um, not just ringtones and wallpapers, but also uh, super short-form Mobisodes. Uh, so we were powering channels for Verizon's Vcast. It's a very early subscription-based VOD service through Verizon. Uh, and yeah, from there I went to uh, full screen, and now at Studio Seventy One. And and give us a little sense. Also, you have a performance background, which I don't think you and I have ever talked about because I spent a lot of time at IO as well, sure. and was on a, I was on a Harold team for a while, and uh, did a lot of time at I- Impro, um, the theater sports folks. But you and I never talked about that. But you, so you have a um, a background in in performing comedy. I did, yeah. I mean, I went to college. Uh, I got a film and video degree from University of Michigan, but I was really deep into the comedy scene there at the time. Uh, and the focus was always to become a comedy writer. So I always took digital jobs during the day um, while trying to make the comedy career work at night. So I performed a lot at Second City Hollywood. 
I was a very early adopter at UCB. I performed there during 2005, 2006, thereabouts. Uh, and then eventually, you know, I kind of fell in love with digital to the point where I stopped pursuing comedy as anything but a hobby, but I still really love the improv scene in Los Angeles. And, I, you know, we could probably talk about how that kind of background sort of sets you up for handling a very disruptive uh, business, you know, set of circumstances, because you're, you're kind of prepared for anything. So um, give us a sense of what Studio 71 is all about. Yeah, absolutely. So Studio 71 is the media company for creators. That's how we put ourselves out there. But naturally, media company is a pretty broad way to define a company. Um, so we really uh, align ourselves in three verticals. So one is we've got a management arm where it's, it's not really like talent management or an agency. Um, it's kind of this new form of management that came around with the MCN revolution. I mean, naturally, we were born out of a traditional Hollywood management company where we were representing people like Linkin Park and um, big comedians. So we still have a little bit of that DNA in the way that we manage. Um, so that side of the house is working with uh, really big content creators on platforms to try to figure out how to build businesses around them. And usually that's based on what they need at that point of their career. So maybe somebody is just finding incredible scale and they need help in optimization and they're less interested in branded integrations or launching their own products. And then there's some people who are just laser focused on launching products in the e-commerce side. So uh, we're working to build out uh, a suite to help uh, address those challenges and find uh, the best ways for people to build a career out of their social following. Uh, and when and you, our, when you, yep. oh, sorry, I was going to just ask you, just because this sure. comes up a lot, how would you define creator? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I would consider a creator to be anyone who ha- is uh, building a personal brand through... Uh, creation of internet content. So it could be as simple as somebody who is is tweeting about something very specific. I would consider them a creator. Or it could be somebody creating full movies that they're hoping to sell into Hollywood um, and everything in between. So I wouldn't consider maybe, you know, my mom probably tweets once a week. I would not put her in the creator bucket. At that point, she's still kind of using it just socially. But if somebody is uh, doing it with the uh, intent of building a brand around it, I would consider them a creator. And and how is that different then from an influencer? Because I, I know from talking to folks that those two labels are sort of controversial in what they each mean. Um, and we always kind of combine them when we're talking about it from like an agency monetization perspective. But right. what, what, are, what are your thoughts on sort of the two different names? Yeah, I mean, uh, creators hate being called influencers. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, we always have to be pretty, you know, we have to temper our language based on who we're speaking to. Um, and I, they have a good point, which is they're, what they do is not just influence, right? They're, they're not, uh, you know, a, a chat bot that's just telling people to go download an app. They're somebody who has, has built a community around their content. Um, so they prefer to be called a creator. However, when we're going out to the sales marketplace, they're very interested in their ability to influence, right? Because there's a lot of things that come up with the word influence. You know, how many conversions can they drive when they say click on this link? You know, how uh, is it a positive brand affinity when you run a pre-roll before their videos? Like, these are things that live more in the influencer bucket. Is it a positive influence or a negative influence? So for marketers, we generally use influencer 
for when we're speaking to creators, we generally call them creators. Oh, that that makes total sense. Um, so that you keep everybody sort of happy with their sort of understanding. Right. It's. I mean, it's semantics at that point, but it's certainly it's certainly important. And and you were kind of defining all of Studio Seventy One's capabilities. So you were talking about the management piece, and yeah. and then. And then there's uh, a studio, a studio piece too, right? Yeah. So on that side of the house, we're doing, uh, you know, television shows, movies, uh, really premium short form experiences for all of these OTT and SBOD platforms, um, live events. Um, we're creating shows and experiences uh, generally with our influencers, but every once in a while. Um, it's just stuff that we're doing for the millennial generation. You know, we've got so much data and so much understanding of, of how content is being consumed that we now have a slate of movies that are coming out that some of them do star, you know, popular YouTubers or Instagram stars, but we also have some coming out that, that don't. And actually last year we did a, a movie based on James Patterson's Maximum Ride that we did in conjunction with him that actually didn't have YouTube influencers at the helm. So, so, so uh, it's a mixture. It's a mixture these days. Yeah, I, I think that. I mean, really, where where we're branding ourselves on that side is we we understand youth culture, and sometimes influencers are the best way to get there. Sometimes it's not. So um, that side of the house uh, acts a little autonomously, but they certainly benefit from our experience and data from the other side. And and uh, you're producing um, uh, the movie with uh, The Rock right now and YouTube Red, which is the YouTube subscription platform. Right, right, yeah. Which I can't figure out, I mean, is it successful or is it temporarily successful based on each new project that gets launched? Or like what, I mean, you're not probably allowed to really talk about that. <laughs> Right, right. Well, and and to a certain extent, it's hard to speak with a lot of expertise because a lot of data is pretty proprietary. What we do know is that, you know, some of our creators have done some pretty big launches on YouTube Red, right? Red and Link had Buddy System. Lily Singh had her documentary. And what we know is that her fans love it. They've talked about it. So the assumption is there that they're doing rather well on it. And when they do release an, an episode for free where we can see metrics, we can see that people are genuinely interested in YouTube Red's offering. Um, as of the extent to how many people are watching it, it's very hard to say. Um, but I think that it is creating a, a new way of, you know, uh, getting money to these influencers in a, in a responsible manner where they can start creating something a bit more elevated, which but our influencers are excited about. And so for you guys, it's not just about YouTube, it, you know, really. It may have begun there, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's wherever there's a content deal to be made, really, right? It's not your platform agnostic at this point? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've been really excited about what Facebook has been doing on the monetization side. You know, we worked with Sean Doris a lot in the past in Snapchat, and we've been working with Logan Paul since his primary outlet was Vine. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if we can find a creator where we look at them and we start imagining what the business would look like around them and we're ready to execute, then we'll go out and see if we can work a deal. And I imagine, we're going to talk about this in the next segment, that you're really sitting on top of a lot of great insights about trends in this space. And again, you know, you could have talked about this business a year ago and it was so, so different. Um, 
you know, uh, so the models have completely changed. So we're going to be back in a moment to, to get more into that with Phil. But before we go, can you introduce me to The Rock? Um, I'm just wondering. <laughs> I mean, he is the world's busiest man. So I, I will if I ever get the opportunity. I, I'm just, um, I'm usually not like into the pop culture sort of icony guys, but um, he just is kind of fascinating. And I would probably vote for him. I mean, why not? Oh, sure. <laughs> An amazing human being. Yeah, he's, he's really interesting. All right, so we're going to talk more about social video and other platforms and what Facebook is doing and really the types of, of uh, content that, that you guys are focused on. Um, and again, you mentioned millennials, and then there's another generation coming up that would be interesting to talk about who have completely different behaviors. So we're going to talk some more with Phil Ronte, who's the chief operating officer at Studio 71, which is, how would you describe it? Is it now a multi, it's no longer a multi-channel network, it's a, a studio, or how would you describe your, the business now? I mean, at this point, we just say media company, since it's kind media of company. sales studio and talent all wrapped into one. Media Company Baby will be back with Phil Ronte in a moment on the Tech Cat Show. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The key point of contact between consumers and brands is technology. StoryTech, a boutique agency, empowers you to use that tech to deliver your message, engage your customers, and raise the bottom line. How do you track and exploit the trends? How do you stay ahead of industry disruption? And how do you maximize profit from content? From strategy to execution, the answer is StoryTech. Inform. Innovate. Create. Visit us at story-tech.com. That's story-tech.com. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. This is the Tech Cat Show with Lori H. Schwartz. If you want to find out more about our show or to leave a comment or question, send an email to Lori at TechCat.tv. That's Lori at TechCat.tv. Hi, everybody. Great to be back. And it is really not a Tech Cat Show if I don't botch my guest's last name. <laughs> and so just to correct, it is Phil Ronta. Right? Yep. Ronta. Okay, yep. great. Right. All right. And Phil, of course, is the COO of Studio 71, which is a, a media company that has its hands in a lot of really interesting parts and pieces of the content digital business right now. And so, Phil, I know that you're sitting on top of a lot of insights just because you not only have been doing this a long time, but Studio 71 is really at the center of the storm right now. Can you talk about some of the trends that you're seeing in this marketing content space? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's naturally we could t t dedicate an entire show just to trends, but there's a couple that are of big waves that are coming right now. Um, so the the a number one trend is you know Facebook unleashing monetization onto the online video community at scale, um, which they're already starting yeah. to do a little bit. Uh, I mean, there's people in the Alpha program. We've got some creators in the Alpha program and our personal pro uh, profiles in the Alpha program. 
Um, but it's actually really interesting because the, the delivery mechanism is so completely different than YouTube that it's going to bring a rise to a whole different type of crater. And, and what is the, tell, tell us what the alpha um, system is. Tell us all, uh, what, that, what that means. Sure, sure. So they've started testing um, a, a couple of ad break uh, models that you might have seen on Facebook. Every once in a while you're watching a video and it says, ad starting in five, four, three, and then it shows you a quick ad. Um, that's being rolled out on a very limited basis right now, just to all their testing. Uh, so it's only really top creators and top publishers that are part of it. But the the metrics that we've gotten back on it have been really positive, and we think Facebook thinks the same way. So it seems that they're going to move forward with this as a as a form of monetization they're going to invest in. And when they do, it's going to give creators a lot of opportunities. So right now it's in it's in beta, and is it is that what you were calling it something? Is that the sort of nickname or code for what it is, or is that um, what they're calling the product? Yeah, no, there. That's just kind of the code. It's the alpha because it's not in beta yet. So. Oh, okay, I got I got it. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, oh, right he's now. telling us something really cool. Um, <laughs> that is really cool. And you, so you think that that model of the countdown is, is, a, is a model that works for short form or is it good for long form or just in the context of Facebook? I think that in the context of Facebook, it makes sense because, you know, a year ago you might have seen there were some tests that went out where they were doing pre-rolls, but they ran into a couple issues primarily that uh, most people are watching Facebook video, at least now, with the sound off, or at first, because it's not auto-playing sound in the timeline. So I'm sure brands were none too happy having their pre-roll, having the sound off every time. So allowing a mid-roll does a couple things. One is it gives users an opportunity to be really engaged and turn the sound on and be ready by the time the ad does play. And second of all, it gives creators the opportunity to give a really natural ad experience, you know, much like podcasts or radio shows where they can throw to an ad break. Um, and, then, you know, I think that makes a lot more sense. And I do believe that it leans more into long-form programming, which, you know, Facebook has come out publicly and said is going to be a big point of investment in the future. And do you think that we'll be watching Facebook on the living room screen? You know, I hope so. They, they came out with a couple of shows in their initial watch launch, you know, the, the Ball Family reality show. Um, I feel like a lot of those had, were, were kind of them planting their flag in terms of quality, which is, you know, very, very strong, you know, not just influencer-based, but also looking at Hollywood, um, giving a similar experience that you'd see on TV. And I think that that's indicating to the brand community and to the publisher community that Facebook is not looking to play a, uh, you know, digital first game necessarily you know they're they're looking at becoming a streaming partner on the level of an amazon or a hulu or a netflix and they even leaked that they were thinking of spending a billion dollars in content next year that's not something yeah. someone does when they're dipping their toe you know that's someone that wants to go all in and perhaps find that next game of thrones or kardashian family so not only are they the platform of which they can secure media dollars, the distribution solution, but they're also going to be producing content. So then they're starting to get into the space of an NBCU, who's Comcast as well, you know, or an ABC, which is Disney, 
you know, and, and really play among the sort of confusing world of being a creator and a distributor. Sure, sure, which makes a lot of sense for them since, you know, human beings only have 24 hours in a day, and we're starting to really max out in terms of how we spend all of our time. And a lot of it is spent on Facebook, and a lot of it is spent consuming content, right? I think the last study I saw was, what, five or six hours a day or something consuming content, something wild. And so if Facebook wants to start capturing that attention that they can start selling, they really need to start butting into TV and YouTube's business. And this is a really strong play for that. And so Facebook is inherently a social network. Um, you know, I'm not the first to say it. Sure. <laughs> so um, you add video to it. So then does is there a social component to this besides just sharing? Like what makes it social video? Yeah, I think it has to be. So, I mean, the, the, the tech video landscape has tried this a million times in the past, right? The idea of, truly social viewing and how to keep everyone in a single environment. And the issue that every startup has had is we can get people watching, but we can't really get people talking. Um, or we can get people talking, but then the content experiences weren't good enough to be worth watching, right? It's either a message board or a television screen and never the twain shall meet, right? So what Facebook already has is such incredible scale and such a control of the conversation uh, that if they're able to pop in video in a proper way, right, like they've already done pretty well with Facebook Live, then they actually have an outstanding opportunity to, you know, build a, true, a truly social video experience. So I think that they can take a really good swing at this. Um, I think that a lot of it is going to come down to are they going to be able to create the video experiences that are worthy of conversation, and that still has yet to be seen. And then there's these other platforms um, that, that are in the game, right? We have Snapchat, we have Musical.ly, Live.me. And Live.me and Musical.ly are really interesting just because of the, the way they work, right? They're, right. they're both, they're both um, very much about a, a user or a muser uh, creating some content on the fly and then people copying it. And then also now there's digital asset paying. There's paying people through digital assets. Is, is that, do you think, is that a model to stay? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we worked very uh, deeply with Live.me upon their launch. We did the, the Roman Atwood integrations and a few others. Um, and they were built a really smart platform. You know, they listened to audience feedback and they listened to creator feedback and they've been able to start defining their own stars, which is really the goal of a lot of these platforms. I think that they're in a really competitive space a lot of people are trying to own live right now. Um, Musical.ly is very bright, and we've got our eyes on that platform in a big way, especially in terms of star creation. If you go to VidCon any time over the past two years and you've looked at the Musical.ly stage, it is absolutely mobbed with the generation that thinks that Instagram's for old people, right? Yeah. Like, if, if you're 11 years old, Musically is the end-all, be-all. And a lot of the stars are reflective of that. There's a lot of 12-year-old stars or teenagers that look young. So Musical.ly has become a, an excellent ground for growing celebrity, but the problem is they haven't quite nailed the monetization yet. So right, right. we've had to take those Musical.ly stars, put them on something like YouTube to help them monetize or put them in tours or have them write books. 
Um, once they're able to crack the monetization code a little bit more, I think that it's going to explode on possibly the level of a, a Vine during its heyday. So is it basically like I record a song I lip sync to, and then I post it, and then fans re- copy it over and over and over again, but that's all free. Sometimes there's an ad in there or an ad or a brand sponsors it, but that, that's the issue right now. Is there money to be made from buying the song? You know, it's possibly. I, I have a feeling they're going to do a lot of changes moving forward because people are starting to get out of the lip sync model on Musical.ly which naturally is a, a, a devastating thing for their brand because they're called musically. You know? So yeah. there has to be some sort of musical connection. But I've seen a lot of great kind of sketch comedy happening on Musical.ly and Lively, which is their live play for Musical.ly, is starting to get a lot of traction. So, you know, I'm interested to see what they do over the next six months. There's a lot of ways that company can go. But right now what they do own is the cool factor. And that's the hardest thing to own in the platform business. So all eyes are on them right now. They've got a lot of pressure, but I think that they can come up with something pretty cool. Now, can you can can uh, influencers and users and all these people can they do anything they want on these platforms? Like, you know how the FCC is always pushing back on Stephen Colbert if he says something completely appropriate, but um, <laughs> but everyone pushes back on, on the language or the words or whatever. So are, are those same rules uh, applied now to digital too, so that if you have any, any sort of crazy activities online, it's starting to be regarded in the same way? You know, technically, but in the past there just hasn't been the scale at the level of the Stephen Colbert or ownership of the global conversation enough for them to be worth going after. I think you've seen it with PewDiePie, right? PewDiePie uh, says some words that need not be named, and he loses his YouTube Red show. He uh, is no longer part of the premium ad offering at YouTube. So it, I, I think there is accountability on that front. And then also the FCC has been more aggressive uh, in terms of making it very clear when something is an ad or when people are getting paid or... Well, if affiliate links are affiliate links. Um, so I think they are held to a high standard. I just also think in the UGC market, it's so broad that it's hard to police. So they're going to have to figure out, you know, what tool set they have to help enforce this. And then ultimately, is it worth the value of enforcement? And I'm not sure on that yet. But, you know, the, the FCC is certainly been uh, very vocal in terms of wanting to tightly police this space. Well, I feel like that the government has other things to take care of right now. (laughs) Sure. There are a lot of fires to put out. (laughs) That's right. There are a lot of fires to put out. Well, we're going to be back in a moment, but I wanted to talk to you also about, you know, there's so much going on. You have a crazy big job, but how do you keep up with all of it? Because it's happening and yet you have to be looking down down the you know the line to see what's coming so this requires a lot of your own sort of um, looking at things reading things and doing things so i'd love for you to share sort of how you keep up with everything with our listeners so we can possibly get as smart as you so we'll be back in a moment with Phil Ranta who is the COO of Studio 71 and did i say it right this time you did yes Woohoo, it usually takes me mid-episode to get down. <laughs> All right, we'll be back in a moment on the Tech Cat Show with some more fabulous insights about the online video space with Phil.
comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The key point of contact between consumers and brands is technology. StoryTech, a boutique agency, empowers you to use that tech to deliver your message, engage your customers, and raise the bottom line. How do you track and exploit the trends? How do you stay ahead of industry disruption? And how do you maximize profit from content? From strategy to execution, the answer is StoryTech. Inform. Innovate. Create. Visit us at story-tech.com. That's story-tech.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. This is the Tech Cat Show with Lori H. Schwartz. If you want to find out more about our show or to leave a comment or question, send an email to lori at techcat.tv. That's lori at techcat.tv. Hi, everybody. We are back with Phil Ranta, the COO of Studio 71, a hot digital media company, actually doing things in analog, too, if that even means anything anymore, but really creating content managing creators in a variety of different really cool platforms. And Phil is just sitting on top of so many insights, is really watching the space explode, change, and evolve. So how do you keep up with all of this madness? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a lot of viewership and research. So uh, number one, I, I mean, I live on Google Trends, google.com slash trends, um, especially on the YouTube trending side. Uh, I mean, there's videos that are going big by the hour and it's important to watch a lot of them and then understand what the connective tissue is so that you can really start seeing where the audience is in the snapshot of time and then if we find something interesting like uh for example fidget spinners when those started going big there would be one fidget spinner video that would be in trending and then the next day there was two and then the next day there was five and then immediately we go out to our whole network and we say, fidget spinners are hot. And we go to our e-commerce team and say, let's make fidget spinners. And we sell, sell, sell until it starts calming down and then we back off, right? So the trending sections are huge. Um, so this is Google, Google Trends. So you, and do you, do you go to it every day? Every day, yeah. That's my morning watch. You know, uh, the Amazon show has been really valuable for me because you can ask Alexa to just show you the trending videos on YouTube. The great morning watch. No kidding. So wait. So you tie Alexa the the fire into it, and that's how you do it, or how do you, how are you doing that? Well, I've got the 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 show is the like it's an echo with the screen on it, and it ties. Right, 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 right. So uh, that's it makes it very easy for me to do it while I'm brushing my teeth in the morning instead of having to wait till I get in the office. Oh my God! I love. I just fell in love with you because um, you're even geekier than I am. Because I people make fun of how many Alexas I have in this house, but I haven't gotten a show yet. I just haven't gotten around to it. But um, I love that because I also just got Arlo video cameras, and apparently I can send the feed to the show. So, oh my God, I love that. That is awesome. Um, and what about you know? Are there certain conferences that you make sure you always go to? Yeah, I mean, VidCon is the big one every year. I've been going to that one for, gosh, since 2012. Um, and it's becoming more and more of a fan convention. Uh, you know, it's, it's important for me to see it, though, because even though it's now 90% kids running around screaming after the biggest celebrities, 
it is a very good sign of who's hot in the market and who's not. So you'll see people with 5 million subscribers who are walking through VidCon and nobody's chasing them and begging for autographs. And then you'll see someone with 200,000 subscribers with a line of 50 people who are crying waiting for her autograph. And those are the people we want to talk to, right? Because they're, they're about to explode or something's happening there. Right. And, you know, so many people look at followers in this market and, you know, subscribers. It's just a terrible metric because somebody might watch one video once or have a video that goes viral and they'll get 50,000 subscribers from it. And none of them are really fans of theirs. They just found one video once and liked it. And maybe their face wasn't even in the video. But if you can get somebody who loves someone so much that they will break down into tears in order to meet them, that's still one subscriber, right? It's just a subscriber that means a lot more. So we're looking for the people with those truly engaged fan bases because those fan bases are the kind that will go see their movie. They're the kind that will go to their tour. They'll buy their T-shirts. And those are so much more valuable to us than just regular subscribers. God, I love that because I, I also go to VidCon too just to watch a lot of that. And I remember a couple years ago being blown away by how it reminded me of the Beatles movie A Hard Day's Night, watching sure, sure. everyone literally run across the Anaheim Convention Center in this big mass screaming at the top of their lungs or crying or, you know, and how they've rejiggered the conference now to move around the influencers inside and behind the stages so that they're not attacked anymore. Yeah, I've got a lot of bruises in VidCon Pass, so this year was actually really nice. I think it's the first time ever I have not gotten, I didn't get a single fan bruise this year. That was a very big deal for me. <laughs> you didn't get felt up accidentally by an 11-year-old. <laughs> exactly. exactly. I mean, in the past, it would get pretty aggressive. You know, when I, when I was at full screen, we were working with O2L when they were really hot. And, you know, here we've got Logan Paul and we've got Roman Atwood. And these are the kind of people that if they show up to something like this, they will cause an absolute riot. And God, it is so interesting. It's good to have them funneled behind the stages so that you don't become a victim of that. Now, do these 11, 12, 13-year-olds, do they grow up to be regular TV viewers later? Because I know I watched my stepkids go from watching a lot of YouTubers then to moving on to, like, ABC Family and The CW, kind of wanting longer format and more sort of traditionally produced content. Is that, is that the case, or is that just where it was then? I think the spirit of that is the case. I mean, I so... In a way, when, when you're a kid, you're kind of defining what you, what you believe is media, right? I was a kid child of the 90s, so a lot of that kind of uh, anti-establishment grunge vibe, like the state and Beavis and Butthead stuff, has kind of permeated through all of my media watching for my whole life. And in the same way that when kids are growing up watching vlogs, you know, and beauty tutorials, you know, they're, they're going to have that ingrained in their head that this is what entertainment is. So I think they will move to longer form stuff and stuff that you think is boring as a kid you might find more entertaining as an adult, and that's just growing up and natural. But I think there will always be a little bit of a redefinition of what media should be because of growing up with user-generated content. Now, do you go to any other conferences that maybe just aren't based on digital but are... Um you know, relevant just to the ad business or technology or anything like that? You know, we certainly cover a fair amount of those as a company. 
Um, I'm pretty focused just on the digital one. So I try to do E3 and Comic-Con every year just because fandom is a really big area of study for me. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we do the mixy comms and we do the, you know, nap peas and uh, those are when we send our sales team out in full force and they're still kind of preaching uh, the benefits of influencer programming and uh, kind of media sales on digital platforms. Um, but I try to stay away from those because I let the professionals handle that. Now, I, uh, we got a, a couple of questions in from our, uh, our Tech Cat coordinator, the lovely Kelly. Sure. <laughs> and one of the questions, um, there's a few around how do you manage what the brand wants and what the influencer wants and also how the production company manages the influencer's sort of brand because we've had a lot of big studio takeovers of what used to be called NCN. So is there a conflict there between an influencer maintaining their identity when they go to either work for a big media company or do something for a brand? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what we always preach is that if a brand wants to work with an influencer, they should realize that they have to do it in the voice of an influencer or else everyone's going to be miserable, right? The audiences won't like it. The creator won't like it and the brand won't get the metrics back that they want. So a lot of it is treating it like a true collaboration, right? Like if you want to look at it in kind of old studio parlance, it's kind of like the uh, uh, brand becomes the studio, and then the talent is kind of like the director or the producer, and they have to come together to find a creative vision that benefits both of them and then move forward. So a lot of what we're doing on that side is just making sure that everybody is crystal clear on what they're doing. You know, when somebody is holding strong on something that's going to hurt one or the other, we try to mediate. And if it doesn't work out, to be honest, we would rather walk away from the deal than, you know, risk hurting the brand of our creator or hurting the campaign. Right. I remember that was such a big problem early on in sort of the mommy blogger explosion when there wasn't transparency about when they were rating products, you know, and this is, of course, a different animal, but you're still always, you know, wondering about the validity of a piece of content when a sponsor is involved, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the FCC is actually, you know, a lot of people are hard on the FCC for the way they've treated influencers. I do think that it's generally a good thing for you to know whether or not you're watching an ad. But I think it's also good for the audience. Once they get used to understanding that when somebody says, hey, this company paid me to do this, that it should be watched through a different lens. And it should be seen as, you know, we were talking about improv earlier. We look at brand campaigns kind of like an improv suggestion. You know, if somebody can take the brand improv suggestion and then make a really cool piece of content around it, that's a big win for everybody. So because you have to understand all these things, what the FCC is doing and what new talent is, are you someone that's also watching a lot of traditional broadcast television to to keep up? So, like, obviously, if you watch Colbert and The Late Shows and all those different shows, you definitely get access to trending talent. Um, So is that a big part of your consumption to keep to keep up with everything is watching some more traditional content? Yeah, luckily my team and I are we're all media addicts, which helps. I mean, my wife is a young adult author. She writes fantasy novels, so we're very deeply into youth culture in our household. So we keep up on the CW shows. Uh, shout out to Riverdale, which is an amazing show. 
Uh, and <laughs> we do watch a lot of that late night stuff, but that's also because I'm a bit of a news wonk. So uh, late night programming, HBO programming, especially we we keep up on Netflix and Hulu and Amazon originals. So yeah, and I think it is important because you know the roadmap of these creators if they want to grow with their audiences to move from. UGC to kind of more elevated premium digital experience to hopefully breaking into global big budget media stuff. So they need we need to be well versed in that to understand how our creators can evolve. It's so funny because when you first said my wife is into fantasy and I was like, where are you going with this, Phil? (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean dragons and swords. (laughs) Okay, okay, totally cool. I mean, whatever you're into, you know what I'm saying? As long as you're happy. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, we're going to have to come back again in a moment, but um, I want to find out a little bit more about where Studio 71 is headed. You know, like, um, are you looking six months down the pike, three years down the pike? I know when... You know, I was running a technology lab at Interpublic. Um, a lot of our agencies and brands were struggling with, do we look three years? Do we look five years? You know, how far ahead should we be looking? How much do we pay attention to planning, to looking at new platforms, to looking at new technology? And obviously, you're a technology adapter because you're the first person I know who owns a show. <laughs> <laughs> Which, sure. by the way, I've been eyeing, but I, I just um, now I'm going to have to get it because you outgeeked me, and I am slightly jealous of you right now. But we're going to come back and, and ask Phil a little bit more about where is Studio 71 headed, because that'll give us great insight into where the industry is is headed. So we'll be back in a moment with Phil Ranta, who is the CEO of Studio 71, dropping some insights and also some fantasy, right, Phil? Heck yeah. Okay, <laughs> we'll be back in a moment on the Tech, Tech Cat Show. Um, hopefully no White Walkers, um, Phil. Stay away from the White Walkers. Uh, we'll be back in a moment. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. The key point of contact between consumers and brands is technology. StoryTech, a boutique agency, empowers you to use that tech to deliver your message, engage your customers, and raise the bottom line. How do you track and exploit the trends? How do you stay ahead of industry disruption? And how do you maximize profit from content? From strategy to execution, the answer is StoryTech. Inform. Innovate. Create. Visit us at story-tech.com. That's story-tech.com. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Network. 
This is the Tech Cat Show with Lori H. Schwartz. If you want to find out more about our show or to leave a comment or question, send an email to Lori at TechCat.tv. That's Lori at TechCat.tv. So we're back with the fabulous Phil Ranta, who is CEO of Studio 71, a digital media company or media company for the future, really. And Phil has his hands in all sorts of fun things. We were just talking about um, Rick and Morty, which is one of my favorite shows, and how it, how that show actually influenced McDonald's to bring back a particular sauce since an episode was about that sauce. So are you seeing in the near future that brands and content will be really deeply intertwined like that? Yes. So, I mean, trends in themselves is kind of a pipeline, right? It's a distribution pipeline because people are searching based on hashtags and trends, and everybody's trying to get attention. So if something kind of hits the zeitgeist and becomes understood and part of the shared language of a certain subset of people, why not, right? I think a lot of people love McDonald's for making this move. And it wasn't premeditated, right? Like Rick and Morty just wrote the episode. They didn't take dollars from McDonald's, and then and then now McDonald's is, is responding. So I wonder if there's a, been a deal made since then. Yeah, I, well, it's weird because the way McDonald's put it out, they just said, we're bringing back all of our sauces that we did at one point. So they bring back all their specialty sauces. I think they kind of distanced themselves with Rick and Morty while also appealing to their fan base. So I thought it was really elegant the way they did that. Yeah, because Rick and Morty is very dark, very edgy, and, you know, extremely inappropriate. <laughs> right. yeah, that's what I love about it. I know. No, no, me too. So um, what what is, you know, set for the future of Studio 71? And I know you can't tell me everything, but, you know, how far ahead do you look? You know, are you do you have a schedule plan for the next year, two years, three years? And what about technology? Like, how does this all work for you? What kind of plan do you make? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're we're planning for, you know, the long haul, but with the understanding that this is a market that changes all the time. So if, for example, Musical.ly starts monetizing tomorrow and just takes a big bite out of YouTube, we're ready for that. Or if Facebook launches their video, we've already got strategies in place. So it's part of our business that we have to stay a little nimble. But a big part of where we're evolving to is through our overseas investment. So we're owned by ProSieben. We've got investment from TF1 and Mediaset. And we're working with them to build out versions of Studio 71 that are localized their territory where we can, along with their media teams, their television media teams, bundle with digital inventory to start moving some of those dollars out in a really interesting way, um, which has been a fun strategy to implement because, you know, there's the, the big question is always when will – uh, old school TV buyers take the leap into digital, and this kind of gives us a peek into how we can do that in an easier way by by working with established sellers. That's so interesting. So you have to then, as a North American company who's owned by global investors, um, do you do you think now? like a global company, or is it more regional where you produce content regionally based? Well, parts of the business are global and parts are regional. So if you look at, for example, our e-commerce, you know, by, by nature of e-commerce, it kind of has to be global because manufacturing happens in a different place than fulfillment and warehousing. And so we can tap into that pretty independent of territory. But if you're looking at something that requires a ton of cultural nuance, like, 
talent management, right? We're working in Italy right now, and trust me when I say talent in Italy is worlds different than talent in America. (laughs) Like how? Like how? Just because they speak Italian? Or what? Like what is it? Is it a cultural thing and a taste thing that's different? Yeah, I mean, it's a very, it's a, it's a much smaller country where less people speak the language, and therefore their stars are famous on a different level. Like, uh, if you, there's, there's people who are popular rappers or musicians in Italy that probably nobody has ever heard of outside of Italy, but if they walked around in Italy, they'd get a bigger response than Justin Bieber. They're so deeply famous in Italy. Uh, and it is. It's more of a culture where there's less of an entertainment middle class, and it's a really just die-hard famous people are really controlling that market. So that's so like me, like me and Sherman Oaks, right? When I walk around right. Sherman Oaks, everyone's <laughs> like the tech cat, the tech cat. That's an, that's an excellent point. So then, are you traveling all over the place then now? You know, because you're a global company. I am. Yes. Uh, I also uh, have the duty of being the general manager of our international businesses. So uh, a lot of it is kind of working with these uh, Studio 71 satellite offices that are earlier in their development cycle than our U.S. office, but are, you know, really relevant and are going to be building something really cool. Do you think, um, you know, this is something that you learn if you go to that show, Mobile World Congress, and you learn that Android is really sort of powering the rest of the earth mm-hmm. and that the Apple cult is, is, you know, sort of China and um, North American based and maybe even um, uh, Western Europe. But um, are you thinking more about partnering with technology companies at a much deeper level um, whose interfaces and discovery engines are going to be so critical to the consumption of the content on them? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have tools that we built out internally. We have a business intelligence platform, and we have ways of serving media really efficiently and in a really specific way to make to ensure brand safety. Um, but a lot of the tools that we work with are third-party that kind of feed into that. And that we roll out globally as we launch different satellite offices. They're automatically part of these. Um, So, yeah, we're always looking at ways to make things more effective and efficient. I mean, I can't imagine that you sleep. Do you sleep? I mean, are you? Not as much as I'd like. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's luckily I'm also surrounded by a staff of geniuses. And, you know, I, I have so much respect for everyone else that works here that they can you know, take on some of the burden of all of this work. And you, you have to, like you were saying, you, you're you a, a, a rabid cons- consumer of content yourself. Are you, have you ever thought to yourself, I'm not so into this popular thing, I don't get it, but you just kind of know it's popular. Are you at that moment in it yet? You know, because for me as a strategist, I often don't understand some of the content likes, but I just get that it's demographically driven. So or do, you, do you like everything that is, is trending? Is your head in that space? No, I don't. I mean, it's, I, I, I try to just understand why it's popular instead of focusing on the actual thing. I, to be honest, when Snapchat first launched, I did not get it. I tried. I watched it day and night trying to figure it out, and I was like, I don't, why is this platform popular? But I've started to get it now, and, you know, you find those few creators that really speak to you on your level, and then it all starts to make sense. So, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't get it. 
I don't I don't get it only because I, I just find the interface, you know, frustrating. And I know it's because my brain is not wired for it. But I, I've tried to I've spent hours just I'm going to take, you know, I'm going to take this on today. And it, it just never happens. <laughs> right. I, well, if people are able to, to tell really great stories, like I follow, for example, Gary V on Snapchat. He does a really good job of actually telling a story that flows. And people like that opened my eyes to the possibilities. And then I'm like, okay, I get this platform. Right. That, that makes a lot of sense. Like if you pick someone whose content you related to, then you will learn how, the, how to best use the platform. That's actually the, the best thing I've heard to date on how to really absorb a platform because I haven't done that. I just know like Instagram, you know, my sister and my niece shop on that. Like that's how she buys her fall wardrobe for school every year. And so there's like a specific thing they get out of using Instagram. Um, that, that I find is so interesting. So where can we keep up with what, what you're up to as both Phil, um, the COO, and also what Studio 71 is up to? Sure, sure. So we've made it really easy. All of my social platforms are at Phil Ranta. You can follow me on Twitter or LinkedIn or wherever there. I'm very active on LinkedIn, so if you want to know my business insights, that's probably the best place for that. Um, or you can follow anything Studio 71 related at Studio 71 for the global org or at Studio 71 US for the US organization. And are you are you treating Studio 71 as its own brand, like you a publicly known brand, or is it more of the sort of underneath production, you know, media company? Yeah, we're really more B2B for that brand. We try to have the focus stay on our creators and the IP that we build instead of Studio 71. Now, is there any, um, before we jump off, is there any uh, new shows coming out that we should look out for that you guys have been involved in? Uh, yeah, we've got a movie that we've already announced. Uh, we've got well, Lifeline with The Rock. Make sure to keep your eye out for that because that The Rock! Cool. Yay! <laughs> and then also Saving Zoe is something we've announced, which is a movie that we're going to be coming out with pretty soon um, that's really cool. It was actually, it's a, it's a young adult piece that was actually written by a, a teenage girl. Um, and it's really heartfelt and, and fun, so good one to keep your eye out for. And then Logan Paul versus Season 2 right now. You can watch it on Facebook Watch that we did along with Watchable, and it's a really fun piece as well. Oh, much, so much great stuff coming out. So um, we have to sign off, but it's been great talking to Phil. Phil Ranta, from the Chief Operating Officer at Studio 71, a, a hot media company really um, leading the way for content in the future. Lots of interesting business models, lots of interesting content models. So definitely check out at Phil Ranta and Studio71.com to learn all about what they've been up to. And it's been so much fun talking to you. I, I learned so much, and I'm also going to probably stalk you just to get to meet the rock but um <laughs> please do and thank you for having me laurie i'm like the that weird middle-aged broad who's got the hots for the rock i mean it's pathetic all right anyway did i say that rock did i say that loud i said that <laughs> <laughs> phil thank you so much you you rock i mean i mean as in like you're great <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next week, hopefully with another brilliant person who knows The Rock, and I'll finally find my way to him. (laughs) 
Thanks so much for listening to the Tech Cat Show. Please join Lori H. Schwartz again for another great program next Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel and syndicated to the Voice America Women's Channel. 